I am so excited that you are here today. I'm so excited that you're joining us. I got to tell you, if today is your first time with us or it's your first time back in a while, you picked a great Sunday to be here because we are starting a brand new series. We're going to talk about being blessed. We're going to talk about what it means to be blessed. And I want to just start out with a little bit of a poll. So get ready to raise your hand if this applies to you. How many of you would say, as you look over your life, you would say, I am blessed? If that's you, could I just see a hand right now? I am blessed. Yeah, look at all those hands. That is incredible. We know we're blessed. We don't have everything we want necessarily. We, we, here's something. How many of you... If God said he wanted to bless you more, you think you could find a little bit of room for some more blessings. If that's you, come on. Yes, Lord. From your lips to God's ears, Pastor Andrew, let it be. We all want to be blessed. We want to walk in that blessing. I got to tell you, as your pastor, I pray for you to be blessed. Really and truly, it is on my heart. One of the things that I do often is is I just sit down and when I'm having my time of prayer, I'll just begin to call out names. Not just those who have submitted prayer requests on the back of Connect cards. Not just those who have come down front for prayer. But, but as I've seen what's going on in your life on social media, as I think about you, as I, as I think about the ways that you serve our church and serve the Lord, I, I just begin to call out your name in prayer. And I pray for a lot of different things, but one of the things that I consistently pray for is that God would bless you, that God would bless you. And he knows more than I the way that you need that blessing at that particular time. I got to tell you, I think for some of us, we have a wrong understanding of what being blessed means because sometimes the blessing doesn't look like we thought it would. Am I right? Sometimes the blessing is in what we don't get. Sometimes the blessing is in what God protected you from. Hey, I got to tell you, when I was in high school, there were no less than six girls that I thought, this is the one. I'm not kidding you. There was like one freshman year and sophomore year, and then there was two in between somewhere. And now here I am. I've been happily married for eight years. And I look back and I think, Thank you, God, for what you kept me from. Thank you, God, for what you brought to me. And if, if I'm not feeling thankful, all I need to do sometimes is just get on social media and see one of them. And I say, thank you. I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> terrible. I'm sorry. Here's what I'm getting at. Having the right circumstances it, it does not determine whether or not I'm blessed. A lot of us, we think, well, I've got, if my circumstances are right, if everything's going good for me, if I get the new job, I'm blessed. If I get the raise at work, I'm blessed. If I hit the right number on the scale, I'm blessed. That one's, that one's tough. Help me, Lord. If my kids make good grades, then I'm blessed. If my kids get on the right sports teams, then I'm blessed. And, but what we need to understand is being blessed is not just about our circumstances. Being blessed is about so much more than that. And so I want to show you one of the best examples I know in Scripture. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bible there, I will tell you we're going to go through this quick. But in, in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 
This is Solomon talking, and here's what he said. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the, I love how, quote unquote, the good things in life. What's Solomon saying? He's saying, I want to find the right circumstances. I want to find a blessing. And so he goes out looking. And what you see over the next few verses is what he found. And, and I want to show you that he found three dead ends. There are three things that we just think about as being sources of blessings. And Solomon looked at them and he found them to be dead ends. I'm going to go through these quick, so I just want to preface that. For some of you note-takers, I'm getting ready to frustrate you, okay? So I love you. I think note-takers are just, you're going to heaven. That's all there is to it. But you are going to want to look on the app, or you're going to want to email me for my notes, because I'm, I'm going to go through this quick, but here we go. Number one, the first dead end Solomon found is accumulating things. Accumulating things. Verse 7 and 8. I also owned large herds of flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the, treasury, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers. Read that last part with me. I had everything a man could desire. Solomon looks at his life and he says, man, I have got it all. I've got everything a man could desire. I've got all this stuff. He spent uh, this season, just to use the word that I've been using already, he spent this season of his life accumulating things. And as he looked around, he realized, I've got more than any of the kings before me. I've got, I've got everything a man could desire. Look at number two experiencing pleasure, experiencing pleasure. Verse three, I decided to cheer myself with wine. So during this season of his life, Saul's motto is, if it tastes good, drink it. If it feels good, try it. Just, just, just experience pleasure. Just go for it. Just have a ball, man. Enjoy life. Look at verse 10. Anything I wanted, I would take. Read that last part with me. I denied myself no pleasure. He says, anything I want, I'm going to just have. I'm the king. I'm rich. I'm powerful. I've got all this stuff. I've got all the silver and gold. And so anything I want, any pleasure I desire, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to just take it. Now look at the third one. Achieving success. Achieving success. He says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Guys, this is amazing. You, you see this list of all the things. It's right there in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. All these things that Solomon acquired. He accumulated things. He experienced pleasure. He achieved success. He had all of these things. And, and it really sounds like 2019, doesn't it? I mean, if you didn't know this was in the scripture, you would think this could be some guy in Raleigh. This could be some guy in Hollywood. It, it, it sounds like... Today's time. It sounds like the things that we go after today. 
Why is that? Because although the times change, our fleshly desires don't. And, and so Solomon, when he was operating in the flesh, he had the same desires that many of us have. But here's what we do. We, we repackage it. We make it a little bit more palatable. What do we call it? We call it the American dream. I'm just trying to have the American dream. I want a big home. I want nice things. I want big bank accounts. I want... And it's all the things that right here, Solomon says, man, I've done it. I've tried it. I've had it. And look at the conclusion that Solomon reaches. When he's got all of these things, he denied himself no pleasure. He had everything he could ever want. As a matter of fact, one of the scriptures said that. He said, I had everything a man could desire. And look at his conclusion. And let me just say before I show it to you. I want to remind you, Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived, okay? I know you know that. I know you went to Sunday school. I know you grew up in church. I know you read your Bible. Solomon is the wisest man to ever live, and here's the conclusion he came to about those things. Verse 11, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, read that next part with me, it was all so meaningless. It didn't make me happy. I had all this stuff. I didn't feel blessed. I mean, I had all the right circumstances. I had everything a man could desire. It just felt empty. It felt, it felt meaningless. And, and look at the remainder of the verse. It says, like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, church, allow my imagination to run for just a second. I just picture Solomon one day feeling a little empty on the inside and walking around his palace. And as he goes, there's the vineyards and the many flourishing vineyards. There's the, the herds, all of that's outside. He's got this big, beautiful, nice home. He walks by rooms that are full of silver and gold. He's got this incredible treasury. And he's, he's just walking through his home. He's just going through. And that's when I picture him writing that last part. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I checked all around. I looked everywhere. I worked so Hard. I spent so many years of my life trying to accumulate all these things, trying to experience all these things. And it's so meaningless. It's, it's just empty. It's like chasing the wind. Now, I know at this point what every single person in this room is thinking, which really is kind of remarkable because we are all so different, and at any one point we probably wouldn't agree on much. But I know what every one of you are thinking in this moment. You ready for it? Pastor Andrew, I would sure like to see for myself. Like, Lord, let me win the lottery. Then I'll see if it's worthless. Solomon, he looks at all his things. He's got everything a man could desire. And he says, nothing really worthwhile. And I know, again... That's thousands of years ago. Let's look at a more modern day example. How many of you know who I'm talking about when I say the name Kenny Chesney? If you know, just put up your hand. I want to see. Yeah, we got some country music people in the house. The rest of you are like, I only listen to gospel. I don't know. <laughs> see those halos out there? 
Kenny Chesney, one of the most famous singers, especially country music singers, wealthy, talented, just uh, powerful, got tons of money. This guy has, he's worth $260 million. He's had tons of number one hits, just lived an incredible life. A life that, again, many of us would say, hey, that'd be pretty cool. I'd trade places with him. But a couple years ago, he wrote a song called Rich and Miserable. Rich and Miserable. Because again, guys, it's not about having the right circumstances to be blessed. There is something when it comes to blessing that is so much deeper than that. Okay, Pastor Andrew, I'm in. I want to know. <laughs> so money won't get you there. Power, fame, wealth, all that. I want to be blessed. Go ahead and tell me how. Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, in verses 1 through 12, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be for the remainder of our time together today. This section is known as the Beatitudes. And let me just kind of give you some context here. The Beatitudes are the introductory remarks to what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, that is the Sermon on the Mount. That is the single longest continuing, continuous teaching we have from Jesus. And during this time, he lays out all sorts of stuff. It, you should, really, you should go and read it. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He starts with the Beatitudes, but he goes off and teaches so many things. And, and the really amazing thing about this is there was no YouTube, there was no video, none of that. And yet, so many of the principles that are found in the Sermon on the Mount have infiltrated our culture today. We still talk about them, think about them. It's still a part of our culture over 2,000 years later. In fact, there's things like, do not judge or you too will be judged. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. The Lord's Prayer. All of those pieces and parts, all of those teachings are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And so really, if, if we wanted to look at this, we could talk about the Sermon on the Mount from now until the end of the year. There's just so much there, we're going to zoom in just a little bit, and for the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Again, that's chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to take an expository look. Expository just means we're going to go verse by verse, word by word, as we study this. Expository is the, it's the exact opposite of topical. When you look at a, a message in a topical way, you pick a topic, and then you, you see what Scripture has to say about that. In the expository realm, what you do is you pick a passage and you just highlight whatever's there. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks is take an expository look at the Beatitudes. I want to read them to you now. I won't do this every week, but just as we kick off the series, beginning in verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Let me stop you right there. Back in this day, what would happen is the teacher would sit down and the students would stand. 
And so that's why Jesus went up on the mountain. That's why the sermon got the name Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up on the mountain so that the people were below him and they could hear his voice and his voice would carry. But I got to be honest with you. I've been studying this. I really like this. I feel like we probably need to be a little bit more biblical here at the Bridge Mount Olive. So next week, wear some comfortable... No, I'm just kidding. You, All right. <clears throat> I'm not losing this chair, Pastor Andrew. Here we go. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, well, as we read that section, the first thing it's just so obvious we need to deal with is what in the world does blessed mean? It's everywhere in there, but yet we don't use that word in our language today. We say blessed, or we say the blessing before a meal, or if someone sneezes, we say God bless you. But, but Jesus had something a little bit different in mind here. That word blessed, that's a Greek word. We're going to go ahead and put that up there. Yeah, say that however you want to. Here's what it means. Supremely blessed, well-off, fortunate, happy. Those are the descriptive words that help you understand blessed. But when we put those descriptors with the description, it's like, whoa, wait. Jesus, Jesus is off his rocker here. What is he saying? Let me give you an example. Happy are the poor in spirit. Fortunate are those who mourn. Wait, say what? I mean, I've gone through seasons of mourning in my life, and I have never felt fortunate. I've had a lot of feelings about that season of mourning. I have felt sad. I've felt angry. I've felt frustrated. I've felt desperate. <laughs> There's a lot of descriptions I would use to talk about my mourning, but fortunate is not one of them. And, and so if you keep going down that list of Beatitudes, you you would at just first glance say, what in the world is Jesus talking about? And so that's why we're going to spend the next few weeks on this. And today we're zooming in on verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. As Jesus is teaching this that day, he's sitting down on the mountainside. The people are below him. You need to understand something. If, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know this. His disciples are in, and they're closest to him. But then behind his disciples, you have the public. You have other followers of Jesus. You have the crowd. You just There are other people who are there that day, and no doubt many of them are Jewish. And so when they heard... 
the ending of the sentence, for theirs is the kingdom of God, they would have been thinking that the first part of that should be, you're a descendant of Abraham, so yours is the kingdom of God. Hey, hey God, we know how this whole thing works. You have a special relationship with the Jewish people. We've heard it all the time that our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they thought because of our lineage, because of who our parents and our grandparents and our great-great-grandparents were, we're good. We're going to heaven. We're going to have this. And what Jesus is teaching here is really a lightning rod. We, we don't read it like that. We don't understand it like that because we're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. And so we don't, ha- we don't come at it with that perspective. But for these people this day, this would have been incredibly controversial. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching it's not about your lineage. It's all about a personal relationship. Guys, can I tell you something? I know your family, your, your, your mom and your dad, they were great people. They were the Sunday school superintendent. They loved on people. They made meals for people. I know that mama or daddy might have been a preacher, might have given large sums of money to a soup kitchen, whatever the case may be. But hear me, that was between them and God. When you get to heaven, God is going to look at you and he's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not about your lineage. It's not about who we're related to. It's all about a personal relationship. And so that's why Jesus starts right there with this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, because that's where our relationship with Christ starts. I know for many of you, maybe you've been saved for a long time. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved yet. Here's how you know. There is one day where this realization comes over you and you look at yourself and as you evaluate yourself, you realize, whoa, I'm a sinner. There there is nothing good in me. It's that day when we realize that the poverty of spirit that we have And we look at a holy God and we want a relationship with Him. And it is not even possible apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Apart from what Jesus did for us. That's why we call this church the bridge. Because Jesus is our bridge to God. Because of what He did, we can have that relationship. But again, it all starts with that poverty of spirit. Knowing that there's nothing good in me. Now I know what you may be thinking. Well, Pastor Andrew, I do some good stuff, and I serve, and I read my Bible. Anything good that we do is because of God. Every good and perfect thing comes from Him. So the health that we have, the the ability to love, the leadership, the giftings we have, all of that is from God. And so there is this poverty of spirit. I want to show this verse to you in the Amplified Version. I love the way it brings it out. It says, Blessed... Spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired, are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant. What's Jesus saying here? He's talking about humility. If you're devoid of spiritual arrogance, you're, you're humble. 
You regard yourself as insignificant. You're humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. We get heaven on earth because we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we get heaven in eternity because we get to forever be united with our Savior. Forever be in His presence. So now look at that verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. And look at this verse in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. It says, God, read that next part with me. God opposes the proud. It wasn't up there, was it? Read, read it with me this time. God opposes the proud. Don't make me look behind me to see if it's there. Because if it's there and y'all didn't say it, I'm so mad. God opposes the proud. Think about that. That, that whenever we say, well, no, nah, I, I, there is some goodness in me. I, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I'm going I'm to get there. A lot of you are playing baseball now. You have an opponent. That means there is somebody who is trying to beat you. At, at the very least, Jesus is doing like this to you. God opposes the proud. Ugh, get that away from me. But, but then there's this other posture God has, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. So, so there's one of two things that God can be doing for you right now. Either God is opposing you or God can be showing you favor. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I like the second option. I like the second one. How do we get there? Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Friends, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, you are in one of two postures with a holy God. Either we've humbled ourselves, and God is showing us favor and he's lifting us up, or we're hanging on to that pride. And God is opposing us. You may be able to lift yourself up a little bit, but I promise you, God can do way more. God can do way more. So we got to humble ourselves so that God can lift us up. Last thing I want to show you about poor in spirit, that word poor in the original language, it's the language for that of a beggar for that of a beggar. If you see a beggar, and chances are you've seen a beggar at an intersection or in a parking lot or on a street corner, you've seen people who are begging, you know that what they're asking you is not for a partnership. It's not like, well, I need a meal. I've got $3. If you could give me $3, we could be partners and I could eat. No, you know if I don't give them something to eat, they won't eat. If I don't give them something to drink, they won't drink. If I don't give them clothing, that's not saying we're supposed to be a doormat, but, but there is this idea that, that there are those who cannot do for themselves. And those beggars, they don't come with any sort of pride. They come in full humility knowing, I need help. I'll tell you about an experience I had with a beggar. It was, it's been several years ago now. It's when Nicole and I were dating. And uh, we were in that phase of, of courtship and love where it was still all brand new. And so we would call each other and we'd stay on the phone late at night because I just, I wanted to be around her. I wanted to talk to her. I just couldn't get enough. 
So we were operating on like three and four hours sleep back in those days. And then, but at, the, at, at night we would, we would talk on the phone, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. One night we're on the phone, I forget where we had to be the next day. But we had to be somewhere early. And I'm telling her, okay, we probably need to, probably a good idea. At this point, we're only going to get a few hours sleep. Let's, let's go ahead. She said, okay, well, look, I want to stop at Biscuit Kitchen tomorrow before we get on the way. I'm going to tell you something. There's two things you need to know. Number one, my wife is a connoisseur of breakfast foods. The breakfast meal is her favorite meal. So you want to know where the best French toast is or Belgian waffle or whatever the case may be? Nicole's your girl. She can hook you up. My favorite meal is the next one. That's the one I'm excited about. She's telling me about Biscuit Kitchen. I'm from up here. I don't know anything about it. There's not a Biscuit Kitchen around here. I said, okay, well, we'll go there. What makes Biscuit Kitchen so great? And she started telling me, oh, Andrew, they hand make their biscuits and there's hoop cheese and the biscuits are so flaky and I'm not sure where they get the sausage from, but it is incredible. I mean, my mouth is watering as I'm on the phone with her. You know, I'm like, okay, mark it down in your book. If Jesus don't come back, we are going to Biscuit Kitchen tomorrow. Pick her up. We get there. We order our food. Ask her, what are you having? I'll have the same thing because, again, she knows. We're driving, and I set my Dr. Pepper and my biscuit to the side because I wanted to wait until we were on the main road to kind of dig in. I wanted to be able to be fully immersed in this biscuit kitchen experience. As we're going, before we get out of town, there's a stoplight. We're just talking. All of a sudden, her door opens. What? Where are you going? What are you doing? It's early in the morning. And I realize there is this guy who's in a parking lot. He's kind of leaned up against a light pole. He's got, uh, he's got newspaper all over him. And it, he slept there that night. He slept there. And my girl has such a big heart. We were at the stoplight without warning. She gets out and she goes up and she says, Sir, would you like these? I'll give you my, this is from Biscuit Kitchen. So he took them. She gets back in the car. I'm like, whoa. Now I got to tell you, I married way out of my league. I really did. She is so good because you know what my first thought was? I hope there's not two of them. Is there another guy? That's horrible. I know some of y'all got to find a new church next week. That was before I was a pastor, though, okay? So we're... She gives this guy her biscuit, her handmade, flaky, hoop cheese-having biscuit. Why did she do it? Because she knew this guy had nothing. He, he's sleeping outside. He's in need. I mean, you could just look at him. and He wasn't even actively asking for anything. And Nicole's heart was so sprung into action that she just got up and met the need because she saw it. Guys, can I tell you something? That is a picture of us with Jesus. 
when we realize, when we come to that place where we realize there is nothing good in me. I am poor in spirit. If Jesus doesn't help me, I will never have a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Years ago, I heard a pastor describe sharing the gospel like this. Sharing the gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I know in an age of self-reliance and self-importance and, and we want to be independent, we want to be powerful, but I'm telling you, a relationship with Jesus starts with submission. It starts with humility. And so guys, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus right now, right here this morning. Guys, I believe if you say this prayer, you don't have to say it out loud. You can just mean the words that I'm saying in your heart. I believe that Jesus will come into your heart right now. I believe that you can be a brand new person. So just pray this. Heavenly Father, I'm tired of running. God, I'm, I'm tired of resisting. Today, I admit to you, I know I am a sinner. I know that there is nothing good in me and I'm so grateful God for your offer of Jesus your offer of being made brand new of reconciliation God I pray that you would forgive me of my sins I pray that you would come live in my heart Lord I know that following you is a journey it's a, it's a, it's a daily step it's a next step every day God help me to take those steps I want to be saved. Pray it on Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.